it. Oh, that's going to drive me crazy. Uh, do you do outtakes? <laughs> uh, we do. We oh, do, actually. No. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of the RPG Academy podcast. I am Michael, and today I have brought along a special guest co-host, Cinda, from the She's a Super Geek podcast. Cinda, welcome back to the show. Hi, Michael. It's awesome to be here. It is awesome to have you. Uh, so what have you been up to? Um, well, I'm doing lots of podcasts, and I'm writing bloggy things, and I'm playing many games. <laughs> <laughs> you know, typical, typical stuff, yeah. right? All the RPG things, lots of them. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Um, Emily is your co-host. She's not joining us for the for today, but uh, hopefully anyone listening to our show is also listening to your show. Uh, they should one because it's a great show, and two because it's part of the network. And you know that's just the way it works. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So today we are going to talk about learning new games. Uh, the reason that we gather for these faculty meeting episodes is so that we can talk about recent games and the stuff that we're doing, uh, our experiences with RPGs, and we hope that through these conversations uh, that we can share some of the experience we've gleaned. Uh, but we do understand that uh, the opinions we share and the advice we give may not work at every table every time, but there is one piece of advice that we feel is pretty universal. And Cinda, what is that one piece of advice? If you're having fun, you're doing it right. That is correct. So no matter what game you play, the system or edition, what rules you use, don't use, or misuse. As long as you're having fun, you're doing it right. So with all that out of the way, do we have any announcements this morning? Uh, well, I am contractually obligated to mention a catacon. Um, <laughs> and I'm sure everyone listening is tired about it, but uh, it's still going on. Two more weeks left until the campaign ends. I think we're at 77% right now. Uh, which is great, but it's not 100%. Until it gets to 100%, I will continue to be a nervous Nelly, so uh, hopefully we can change that. And then we did get invited to be a Twitch affiliate based off of the activity on our Twitch channel, which I didn't know what that meant. I looked into it. And basically, it's not a revenue-sharing program yet. That's a Twitch partner. An affiliate just means that people watching can give us money, which I have a couple thoughts about, positive and negative, because I kind of feel like most of the people who are watching are people who already know us, and those people are probably already supporting us in some way. Uh, so it feels kind of icky, but I, I guess that's just part of the program that Twitch does. So, you know, if it works out, great. If it doesn't, we'll keep going. What about you? What, what new things are going on in your life that you'd like to talk about? Um, well, I'm kind of in the middle of planning for Origins right now. I'm planning to be there, and that's my big exciting thing. I also do want to say really quickly, because I was there last year, if you haven't been to a Catacon and you can make it to a Catacon, it was fan-freaking-tastic, so you should totally back <laughs> that. <laughs> um, what else is going on in my life? Quick, send a think. Uh, I didn't prepare for this part of the show. Uh, I got nothing. <laughs> uh, that, you get, and that is, that is fine. I will be at Origins as well. Oh, sweet. Uh, so if we can hook up and play some games, that would be awesome. I originally was going to go for the entire time and then I used a whole bunch of vacation and sick time early this year so now I can't so I think I'm going up Thursday night now as the plan after work so yeah but anyone who's going let us know we'll see if we can get some games going yeah I've never been to a, uh, Origins before so I'm pretty excited <laughs> this is I think my third year uh, the first one I was bitterly disappointed oh no but that's because I went in with the wrong expectations uh, <laughs> Because I had only ever gone to Gen Con before. And, and right. really, Gen Con was the only convention I'd ever really gone to. And so then I went to Origins thinking, well, this is Gen Con. It is not Gen Con. It is his own thing, which is awesome. But that first year, I didn't know what I was doing. And, it, and that's why. The second year, I had a great time. So just go in with the expectations that it's not Gen Con. You'll be fine. Not that it's worse than Gen Con. It's just different than Gen Con. It is my Gen Con replacement this year because <laughs> my son's first day of school is right over Gen Con and I was like no well, I can't go so it's fine I'm not expecting it to be the same but it is the convention that I'm traveling to in the summer instead of Gen Con yes yeah and we've we've talked a lot about conventions and that that will play into our topic so let's get a little bit into the show uh, but sure. before we do that we want to let people know how they can get a hold of us uh, you can find our show on Twitter at the RPG Academy you can also find my normal co-host Caleb at the Caleb G 
And you can email the RPG Academy at Michael at the RPG Academy, Caleb at the RPG Academy, or the show at podcast at the RPG Academy, as well as the new the RPG Academy at gmail.com. And you can find me, Senda, on Twitter at I-D-E-L-L-A. M-I-T-H-L-Y-N-N-D. And it is, yes, a running joke how unfindable <laughs> I am on Twitter. But you can find my podcast at SAS Geek Podcast, which is significantly easier. And yes. my other podcast at Panda Talking Games. And you can also find us on Facebook and all over the place, but I won't go totally crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So with all that out of the way, let's get into the show. So first up is our gamer's lexicon, and this week that is proficiency. So the general definition of proficiency is a high degree of competence or skill. So Michael, how does that relate to D&D 5th edition? So, and again, this is going to be pretty basic stuff because I'm not that smart. Uh, Caleb is my crunchy co-host. He's not here today. (laughs) But basically proficiency is used as a modifier in 5th edition for things that your character has training in or is specifically good at beyond what I would consider like a standard competence. Every character gets a proficiency bonus based on their level. It starts at plus 2 at level 1, which makes no sense, but whatever. Uh, And it goes up to a maximum of plus 6. And that number is used to modify a number of things that your character does, such as attacking, spell attacks, spell DC uh, saves, ability checks, or tool proficiencies, those types of things. And basically, it's just a way for to show the progression of what your character does and how they get better as they level up outside of the things that your character can do, like special abilities or subclass features and that kind of thing. Uh, You get your proficiency bonus based on your level, but what that applies to is often determined by your background, Uh, or your class, and I think there's a couple other things that can be added in there. Uh, So like if you're proficient in craftsman tools and you're wanting to craft something, then you would get your proficiency bonus to the skill check that you would make. If you're proficient in constitution and you're making a saving throw against poison, you get to add your proficiency bonus to that roll. And then kind of like when you're dealing with multiplications uh, and some other things like uh, damage, if you are going to use proficiency and it's somehow it works out that you should apply it twice, you don't. You only apply it once. Same thing if it says you're supposed to double it, you only double it once, no matter how many times you, it says to double it. Same thing with have it, how, having, how, halving, <laughs> that doesn't sound right. <laughs> having, having, yeah. if having. you have to halve it, uh, if you take <laughs> half of it away, two. <laughs> exactly, if you're going to divide it by two, you only divide it by two once, <laughs> never more than once. I think that makes sense. It totally right. makes sense. It doesn't stack. Just say it doesn't stack. It's only when, when you, because I've said, but when I don't know, just reading it and saying it seems weird to me for some reason. But anyways, no. uh, <laughs> so with that out of the way, we're going to move into our main topic today, our general assembly, which is uh, learning new games, and then potentially also stealing ideas and mechanics from those games to incorporate into your home game or into a different game. Uh, we talked a lot about conventions when we started, and that's kind of where this he, he, he. this conversation started from, because uh, I'm going to be going to a bunch of conventions. I'm going to Lexicon next week. I'm going to Origins, going to Gen Con. And so those are chances for me to play games that I don't normally play. Uh, that's one of the things I try to do unless there's a specific reason I don't play D&D at conventions anymore. Like if I have someone who wants to play a game with me and that's what they want to play, absolutely. But when I'm looking at my schedule, I just avoid D&D. Not that I don't love it. It's my favorite game. But I play it all the time. Yeah. So I want to use these conventions to play new games. And then from as a player standpoint and as the game master, uh, sometimes that's difficult. I know I still screw up D&D 5e and use rules from 1st edition, 2nd edition, and 3.5. But you, because of your show where you you play a lot of games and you run a lot of games, you seem like the perfect person to bring on to talk about learning new games. So drop some knowledge. I love that in the notes it actually says drop some knowledge. (laughs) I'm just going to start with that right now because it says, Senda, drop some knowledge. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, so I'm going to I'm going to tell you, let you in on the really big secret of how I managed to learn a lot of games for my show really quickly all the time. And the really big secret to that is that I don't um, I don't run really heavy, crunchy games on my show. And that's uh, that's part of it. But it lends itself very well to conventions as well, because the thing about running a less crunchy game. Um, is both that you can learn it really quickly and it's really easy to teach at the table. Um, so that's, I mean, obviously that doesn't work for everybody and you, and I have some crunchy games that I love and I'm, you know, still totally a fan of, of D&D and I used to play like so much Pathfinder. 
Um, and I have my Edge of the Empire book sitting here on the shelf. And man, I really want to just read through all those insanely, like, uh, so many rules. But in terms of stuff for conventions, even if you're running a crunchy game, basically, if you can get down the basics, a one shot at a convention is not the time to get into the like niggliest of little details. And that that's what saves me most of the time in terms of learning new games. Yeah, I kind of feel like, you know, again, I'm, I'm projecting my own preferences and stuff. But if I'm going to go to a convention and I'm going to play a game I've never played before, I'm probably going to lean into a, a lighter game. Yep. Because I, it's just a one-time thing. I want to have fun. Yep. But if I do decide to go into a game that's really crunchy, like Shadowrun or pathfinder or something like that i'm going to look for a game that says it's beginner friendly mm-hmm. and or i'm going to do some research before i show up so as a player i kind of feel like you control your own destiny and if you show up to a super crunchy game and you have no idea what you're doing and you didn't look for a game that says beginner friendly it could turn out to be an interesting situation for you and for everyone else at the table who now has to help carry you along not saying don't do it but Usually there are games that say beginner friendly for a reason. And those are the ones you should uh, right. look for if this is your first time playing that. Right. If you're looking at crunchy things. But I mean, I do actually do the same thing both at conventions and, you know, just in terms of like, oh, let's play a game. Well, let's just we haven't played this one before. I'm really excited about it. I played my first. Is it Rises? Is that how you say it? I think it's Rises game. Uh, um, I, I know what you're talking about. I'm not good at yeah. pronunciation. So sure. <laughs> Two weeks ago, I played my Help. first one, <laughs> and uh, and it was awesome. Like the funny thing about it is, there's a certain point you can sometimes reach. Also, with the lighter games, where like I think we ended up making, I mean, we didn't make any rolls for like the first two hours that we played, so it didn't matter what system we were playing in, right? right? Like, but um, but it's always exciting to me to be you know walking into a new game. So I think um, a lot of things for learning new games, it's coming in with an open mind. It's having an idea what the purpose is that you're, you know, this game fulfills. And sometimes it's like it's a totally open system and it's just, you know, the 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 uh, GM wants to tell a story and this just happened to be a good system to tell it in and that's um, you know, the last um, game that I sat down and that I didn't I'm lying. That wasn't even the last game I sat down in that I didn't know the rules to at all. Um, So a couple weekends ago, that was the game that I sat down to that I didn't know the rules to at all was Rises. And it wasn't necessarily then, you know, that that was the game to accomplish the feeling of of the story that he wanted to tell, which was Unicorn Riders and Ken. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But it worked really well. So like there, there's sometimes it's, it is just a general thing. Sometimes you sit down and there's a very specific purpose to the rules of the game. Um, and you need to know kind of what that purpose is so that you're playing to the same kind of story as the, as the GM, if you're a player or as a GM that you're playing the kind of story that those mechanics are built to support. So if you sit down to a story, like you're sitting down and you're going to play Bluebeard's Bride. You, there's a specific mindset you're going into that game with. Like you, you can't just be like, ah, da, 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 da. <laughs> like, yeah. um, like this is going to be a little grim and kind of intense and, and everybody's kind of got to be on board with that. So there's, you know, learning new games. It's not just, um, if you're picking a lighter game, then usually the mechanics are reasonably fast to pick up. Um, but the other part that you have to pick up both from the rules and just from reading the game is um, what kind of atmosphere is this game built to create? What kind of stories is it built to tell? So that you're playing to the strengths of that particular system. Some games, and I don't necessarily want to quantify, quantify it as games that are designed well, but some games are designed in a way that the mechanics are, are part of the feeling. Right. You know, again, like Ten Candles comes to mind, if you're not familiar. It's a game I was thinking of that one, too, yeah. Where you physically burn aspects of your character away as the game progresses. So you could play that differently. And I know people, again, at a Catacon did last year because of the fire issue. Some people used, like, cards, and they just ripped them in half rather than setting them on fire, which kind of works. It still symbolically is the same thing, but I don't know that it has the same feeling. And then to mention Jim McClure, friend of both of ours. Yeah. Frenemy of some of us. <laughs> uh, you know, his game, Satanic Panic, I got to play that for a trial. And the mechanics are absolutely designed in a way to reinforce the tone and feel of the game. It's not just acceptable conflict resolution system, because you could do that with 50-50 or evens and odds. But that game has mechanics that are designed to make you feel like what the game wants you to feel like. Exactly. So you don't want to ignore those if that's what people are there for. If I'm there to learn how to play Tin Candles, I would probably be 
a little bit disappointed if instead of having that, we had 10 gummy bears and we ate them as we lost, you know, lost parts right. of our character. Because <laughs> it, it kind of breaks the feeling. Like, hey, I'm eating the gummy bear and I almost died. So, well, I mean, it would just be an entirely different game. Yes. Like, <laughs> I feel like you could do that, but it would be like you'd have to do it as a subversion of like childhood cartoons or something in a creepy way. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like the Care Bears as a as a zombie apocalypse, then maybe you could eat gummy bears. I don't know. Right. But yes, I'm with you. The because uh, and and that is exactly what I'm going for is that um you you want to make sure that you're learning what that um what those mechanics are built to support so that you're running that kind of game. So I think we're, we're we're both on the same page that Rules light games are kind of the easy way to go, but yeah. you, but you still want to use the mechanics as you need to. But let's talk more about. So I play a lot of D and D five e. I decide I want to play Shadowrun, which is a completely different system. It's not a, <laughs> not a D twenty. The setting is different. The conflict resolution mechanics are different. And even if you don't know Shadowrun, that's I not. Don't. <laughs> I'm just saying that like when you're going to go to a game that's just completely different from mechanical situ, you know resolution, are there any tips or tricks you would give someone to? how you would do this. So so I guess we'll take it away from a convention because I would think if you're running a convention game, you should kind of know what you're doing. Let's say we're doing this as a home game. I normally sure. play D&D, &D, but we want to play Shadowrun one time or we want to play 13th Age one time or we want to play Edge of the Empire one time. What advice would you give to the GM to make sure that they run it in a way that actually represents that game properly or well enough? Well, so there's... There's two things that I would say. The first thing is um, you have to keep an open mind and kind of be flexible because the first thing the first thing that I ran into when I first branched out of D20 was that I uh, would kind of try to force mechanics in other games to resolve the way that D20 resolves, right? And D20 is like, yes or no. <laughs> like, did it work or not? Da -da -da! Yeah. Versus something like running Powered by the Apocalypse games is extremely different because as a GM, I never roll. Like, I don't ever roll the dice. But when I get to do things, it's because of what the players rolled, right? And it's a different mindset and it's a different way to have a conversation to run a game. So um, so the, the first part is keeping an open mind and, and trying to, you know, see how that play works back and forth so that you have an idea going to the table, how it's going to change how you talk at the table, essentially. Because uh, the other thing to me is a Powered by the Apocalypse game tends to run as a series of like questions or leading questions, um, which is how I also happen to like to run Dungeons and Dragons. But in Dungeons and Dragons, that's not how you have to run it. Like it doesn't break the game if you don't run it as a, a conversation like that. That just tends to be the type of game I like to play in. So I run it like that. But if, you know, but I if someone is more used to a very distinct difference between like the GM role and the player role and having a very clear distinction about what those two roles can define about the game, you have to kind of keep an open mind about shifting and blurring some of those lines, which is, I mean, um, that was probably, I think the trickiest thing for me when I started really just branching out is like the way that you divide up the power in different games works differently. So Sometimes the players have like lots of power. Sometimes there's very little difference between the role of a GM and a player um, other than like, I'm playing one character and you're playing lots of characters. Cool. <laughs> like, right. You know, um, so it's keeping an open mind about that. And hopefully in the book, there's some, you know, information to help you about how that conversation works at the table. And definitely the mechanics will kind of inform you on that too. So that's part of it. The second thing I would actually say is I hate running. And this sounds, this is going to sound really funny as like me, the queen of one shots, right? Like if I'm going to run something big and crunchy that I'm learning, I hate running it only once because the thing is, if I only run it once, I am getting a feel for again, how that conversation works. And so are my players, if we've been really steeped in something else. So the first time we run it really is a learning experience for both of us. And I'm not really going to have an idea if we even like the system until the next time I run it. So like, if I'm going to take a break from my long running campaign, I will, you know, if, if it's a one shot, I'll run something light because light you can do because the difference, the difference being that in a light rules system, you can usually pick up um, on how that conversation works more quickly. And that's why I like running them at conventions and stuff. So that's why I do things like all out of bubble gum because it usually takes people 
you know, very traditional players, it usually takes them about 15 minutes to catch on to the fact that they can do like anything and crazier is better. Like it just, (laughs) it takes them about, there's like a clock and I can tell when people sit down at the table, like, okay, your timer just started ticking and I'm going to see how long it takes you to catch on. And then it clicks and then people start really picking up on it. And then the funny thing is then you can pick up on the people who are like, power rules mechanic people because then they start trying to abuse the rules. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is pretty funny. But there's so like in a in a lighter game, it just means there's a lighter time frame to pick up on that conversation. In a crunchier game, it, like it can take you a session or two or three or whatever to really understand what's going on and to make those things work. So it's like if you're gonna, you know, if I was gonna pick up Edge of the Empire, I don't think I would run a one shot right now. I would try to run a, a very short campaign arc. I would try and run something like that I plan for like, you know, three to four sessions and then make a judgment call. Right. About the game and, you know, if we wanted to keep playing it or if we were going back or, you know, if that was just a side thing or whatever. And that's it's partially because um it takes a while to just pick up on those rules. It's partially because it if I'm picking up something crunchy like that, it's still going to take me a while to learn all those rules. And if I'm going to learn all of that, I'm not going to run it once for four hours. Right. I mean, it's like, it's like if you go to college and get a degree and then don't go into the field that you studied. Like, that would oh, be silly. What? <laughs> Wait a minute. What? <laughs> Wait, I was supposed to work in that field? Yeah, I, I brought in some real, real world stuff here. I don't need to do that. Crap. <laughs> so a, a couple things that I would throw out. Selfishly, uh, listen to some podcasts. Uh, oh yeah that that is a great shorthand to learn some of these mechanics especially if it is a rules heavier game Mm -hmm. you know specifically the the things that we do called the trials we try to get someone that knows the game to run it for us so that we don't have to try to learn them because we're going to misrepresent them so if we get the designer of the game or someone who's been playing it for years to run it we're probably going to get a better representation of what that game does. So, so find shows like the trials or YouTube videos, or just, you know, I'm sure someone out there somewhere has reviewed every single game and can break down some of the fundamental differences between that and a different game or whatever. And then it look for like a beginner's box. Most games these days seems like the bigger games seem like they have those. D&D has one. Pathfinder has one. Edge of the Empire has one. Numenera has one. Mm-hmm. So these are things that come with pre-generated characters. Uh, They have an adventure that is in a lot of ways designed to introduce you to the mechanics. So it's not just throwing everything on the wall and seeing what sticks. It it starts you off with play for a little while and then here's your first interaction with the rules. Play for a little while. Here's your second that builds upon the first. And I think that is probably it it might lend itself to more of a one shot because a lot of those are designed to be that way. But you're going to have a much smoother transition of the rules rather than if you try to make your own game if you're not really good or experienced at making adventures quite yet. Well, the other part of that is um, if you pick up something really heavy, uh, it's usually reasonable to compartmentalize the pieces that you're learning so that you can you can start creating a story and an adventure and it doesn't necessarily have to have like spaceship combat yet you don't have to necessarily learn those rules the first time you don't have to learn rules for um using the force and lightsaber fights the first time if you're all playing smugglers like so you can kind of compartmentalize also and that helps with those bigger books so that you can say well like this this little contained story piece right here i know that i'm not you know we're not gonna get into this stuff so I'm just going to make sure that I'm really well versed in the things that I expect to come up here. Now, players can always surprise you and that's fine. And that's where, you know, you get into as a GM, you can honestly say, hey, I haven't read that part yet. Or I've read that, but I don't know it really well yet. So, um, you know, we can play this. But, you know, if we do this again, I'm, it might be different because I'll have a better understanding of how right. it works or whatever. And that's and that's fine. But that's so that's, it is another tool that I also use is I'll compartmentalize things or because I know I'm only running it for one session, I'll be like, oh, I don't really need to learn all of the stupid grappling rules. So I'm just (laughs) going to bypass that (laughs) and we're going to play the game. And then, of course, uh, you always have, you know, at your command, the, the GM's fallback tool is you have the ability to make a ruling at the table to avoid sitting there and flipping through a book for 20 minutes because nobody wants that. That is not fun. 
No, it's not fun for anybody. And that is just a thing. And it's um, especially if this is a home game and you are going to come back to it at some point, whether you're playing a little short, um, a short run of it. And so you're going to play again next week or if it's something that, you know, you're playing in between um, sessions of your campaign because someone's sick or whatever. So you might play it again in a couple of months. It's it's really actually very easy to be honest with folks and be like, I don't actually know the answer to it. I'm looking at the page for like a minute and I don't see it. So I'm going to make a ruling and then we'll figure it out for the next time that it comes up. Right. Which is the same as playing in a normal campaign. But um, it's something that is just there. I will also say, and I'm saying this because it cracks me up still and she's still mad at me about it. (laughs) If you're familiar with the basis of how rule systems work and there's someone in your game who knows them really well. For example, you might be running a fourth edition game. And maybe Emily knows all of the 4th edition rules, but you've really only ever played 3-5 before. That's fine. You probably don't really need to know all the 4E rules or like read those books or anything. Just ask those people at your table who know the answers. (laughs) Well, and I think that brings up an actual really good point. You can leverage those people at your table if you have a rules lawyer. Get them to help you digest those rules and say, I'll run the game. But if I, you know, not if I'm doing it wrong in a way that, like, a, like, I don't want you to interrupt the flow of the game. Like, well, actually, but, right. if I, yeah. but if I look at you and say, okay, I can't remember, how yeah. do we do initiative? And then they can help you. Yeah. And then I would throw out as well, we've talked a lot on our show before about having conflicting play styles. Yeah. Where, you know, you could have a really good friend who's your great friend that you watch movies with, great friend you play board games with, but they just don't fit your role-playing tastes. And if they you play the same game, it just doesn't work out because you want different things. If you have someone at your table who just doesn't want to try a new game, maybe don't invite them to that game. Yeah. You know, they might be, you know, make it worse. I, we use the term in my other jobs, change agent. Mm-hmm. Someone who, who willingly buys in and, and will, you know, cheerlead the changes and talk about all the positives and just kind of not really focus on the negatives. You want at least one person, if not the entire table, to be a change agent in regards to this because you want everyone to look for the positives because that first game is going to be a little rough. You're going to have some mistakes. Yeah. But it's no different than the first time you played whatever your home game is. Exactly. So don't be afraid to be like, hey, we're going to, for this game, we're going to do this. Or, you know, again, let's say that maybe Charlie is your your yeah, guy who loves D&D and doesn't want anything else. When Charlie's sick, that's when you play this other game. You're like, hey, we can't right. play tonight. Let's Tonight, let's break out Shadowrun because right. Charlie will hate this game. Yes. <laughs> and and let's, let's play it tonight, you know? Um I think that makes a lot of sense to, to take the, the, you know, the temperature of the room, figure out who wants to, be, to buy in. Cause I'm, I'm kind of jumping on topics, but I guess in my experience, I have found that as the GM, I am the one who's most often interested in changing games mm-hmm. more than the players. Yeah. So am I changing it for me or am I changing it for the table? Because if no one at the table wants to try this, it's probably not going to work out well. Mm-mm. Maybe you go to a convention. Maybe you, you, know, you find a different group for different nights. Uh, but if you are interested in learning them and your table is interested in playing those, you still might want to, you know, wiggle some things around till you get the best possible situation to present this game in a way that will be accepted. Right. Um, it's something that I have um, actually uh, talked about a couple of times, which is, um, you know, getting folks who are really entrenched in one system to kind of branch out a little bit because I know it's scary because I've been that player. Like I've been that person who was like, no, I only play Pathfinder. Like that is all that I play. And it's weird that other people play other games. Like I've, I've totally been there. Playing more games than that is like the best thing ever. <laughs> Because you just get to do all of the things. But sometimes you have to basically metaphorically take your players by the hand and lead them really gently into new things because change can be scary. And that's fine. And sometimes what that means is that you sit down at the table and you say, um, you know, I'm getting I'm getting a little burned out on running this thing. Um, and I've been looking at some new games. And I know that you're all really into heists. And I know that you all really like, um, you know, cyberpunk. And we've been playing all of this fantasy stuff. Would you all, like, can you all just, like, would you be into just trying this? And we'll just try it and see how it goes. And so a lot of times if you can pinpoint, um, you know, things that they're interested in to make sure that it's something exciting for them and that kind of stuff, then then you can kind of pull people over, which is great. For me, it was podcasts. 
like <laughs> that was the thing i started listening to podcasts i was like holy crap they're playing all these other really fun games this sounds amazing like why am i not playing that and then i was just went and decided to play that too right yeah so that's, i mean uh, yet another avenue <laughs> yeah. so to to sort of wrap up this part of the conversation because i want to get into a couple other things before we before we close out of this mm-hmm. you know again we sort of touched on using like a pre-generated campaign, using pre-gens, walking them through the adventure. I think that's important for any time you're teaching new people, even if it's a game you know well or not, just start playing the game and then introduce the rules as you need to. Yes. I I would not suggest that you just sort of hit them with all these rules, okay, like up the top of the game. When we attack, we do this. When we do save and throw, we do this. Just start role-playing. And then when they say, hey, can I punch the horse? Absolutely. Here's how you punch a horse in this game. Yes. And then I would flip that on its head that if you have a super tactical group that loves crunchiness, then maybe you do like I've heard them called like the um, the holodeck episodes or the danger room mm-hmm. where you just fight stuff. Yeah. Like there's no story literally at all. It's just here's your character. Here's your monster. Kill it. Here's a different monster. Kill it. So that people get a session that's just the mechanics. Yeah. So they learn those. And then next time you play it. OK, now we're going to tell a story with the system. Right. Yeah, Absolutely. One more thing I will throw out there, and this is just one of those things that's really cool and great. Um, there are a lot of games that are using similar systems. So D20 is D20 to a certain extent, no matter you know what you're playing with it. And Powered by the Apocalypse is always going to work in a very similar way, even though we're seeing those second generation Powered by the Apocalypse games that are really pushing you know how those rules work. It's really actually fantastic that people are using similar systems over and over again. You know why? Because they're really easy to learn. Because you already have an idea of how it works. It's yes. really easy to apply that to a new setting and a new flavor of mechanics. So that's something that I'm actually really appreciating because I'm playing a lot of Powered by the Apocalypse games <laughs> right now. And they're yeah. all very different. But once you kind of have a sense of them, they're very easy to pick up. And, and I would say, again, in, in broad strokes, that's absolutely correct. But what you have to be careful for is if there is like a small oh, yeah. change that means a lot, then you'll be like, oh, no, I know how this works. So don't assume that you know, because it's a great way to, to feel, to, to be comfortable, but don't don't lean in it too much. Because, you know, again, like 13th Age is an example with a D20. Yeah. 13th Age is almost exactly like D&D. But there are changes. And if you aren't aware of those, it doesn't quite work. Well, I will tell you my specific one, which is that when we switched from 3.5 to Pathfinder in my um, long-running campaign that I played forever and ever and ever, I was playing a rogue. And you know what changed between 3.5 and Pathfinder? Rogues can sneak attack undead creatures oh and it's not explicitly stated it's explicitly stated by neglecting to say that you can't can't uh-huh so like that's a really finicky little <laughs> detail but it made a huge difference to me since yeah, we were in absolutely. the middle of an undead campaign and i was playing a rogue <laughs> <laughs> yeah i can see where that would be very uh topical uh-huh <laughs> all right so i wanted to twist this a little bit into using these other systems that you have knowledge of to enhance the game that you normally play. So I normally play D&D. Now I play D&D 5th edition. But there are things that I have taken from other games, Savage Worlds, 13th Age, even Powered by the Apocalypse games, that I want to try to mush in to make the D&D game better for my table. So what is your examples with that? Because again, you've, I'm sure you've played a lot more games than I have. Do you have any specifics or any advice for how you can do that and maybe when you should or when you shouldn't do that? Right. Well, I mean, to start off with, I think when you should do that is when there's a thing, if you've gone off and you've played a different game and there was something about the way that that game played that you really liked and your table really enjoyed that just really worked for you. I think that then at that point, it's definitely a good idea to see if you can in some way incorporate it back into the game that you're currently playing. And sometimes that means you can just wholesale steal some mechanics like, you know, before fifth edition when, you know, inspiration kind of stuff didn't exist in D&D Pathfinder. I was still playing with it because it was a thing, like right? It, it, we stole it wholesale from other games, um, essentially. So, I mean, I think I think that sometimes um, if it doesn't warp things, you can just pull that stuff out wholesale. Sometimes what you're getting out of those games is really enjoying a style of play. Um, and then you can take that and kind of apply it no matter what the rules system is. And I mean, hopefully not, you know, in direct opposition to what the mechanics accomplish, because then why are you playing that game? Like just, you know, play something that does what you want it to. Right. But, you know, there, there are definitely times when... 
Like if, if I sit down and I have a generalized system of something like if I am playing Fate Accelerated, there are still parts of how I run Powered by the Apocalypse that sneak into that. And some of that is how my conversation at, at my table runs, right? And, and, and that's because that is the style of GMing that I very much enjoy, which is that I get a lot of feedback from my players. And there are games that don't hard code that in, and there are games that do. But um, f- I'm going to run at my table a game that does, whether the rules hard code that in or not, right? Right. So some of the examples that, that I've taken away, it's it's where the mechanics, it, it kind of helps the, role, the the players role play in a way that I want them to anyway. So mechanically, it sort of like rewards them. Inspiration is a great example. Yeah. If you play up to your character's backgrounds and their flaws and, and just their personality that you establish in the background, you get bonuses. If you're not playing a D&D, but you still want them to do that, then you can make up your own version. Like, you know, if it's rolling 2D6, but now you get to roll 3D6 and take the best two. Yeah. You can, you can find a way to say, because you did this thing, I'm going to reward you. In, in sort of the similar way. Uh, Savage Worlds does the thing where you have those interludes. Yeah. And I love that. And so you can take that right into a D&D game. When you're at the campfire, you can draw a card and tell a story. But maybe after two months, you don't need the cards anymore. The right. players have figured out that, hey, when we're on a train ride or on a cav- caravan or camping, one of us needs to tell a story because it's cool. Right. So we'll just do that anyways. We'll just and, do you know, it. <laughs> yeah. Cause, so that's the kind of things that I'm taking away. Uh, again, 13th Age, I love one unique thing. It's just a way for the for the game to let you create a very unique individual. There's nothing to say that you can't do that in any game. And and you probably are doing it anyways, but you can codify it and say, what is your one unique thing that we can use in the game? Because it doesn't have any mechanical benefits. It's just a role-playing aid. Right. And those are the things that are really easy to port from one system to another when it's you know specifically a role-playing aid. So one of the other things that can be fun, and, and you, you have to set it up kind of in advance so that people know it, um, but one of my favorite ways to deal with planning, because one of, one of the things that can happen at the table, sometimes you have a group of people and they love to plan, like they just love to plan, right? Sometimes you have a group of people at the table and you're playing a heist or something like that, and you've been planning for three hours and at a certain point, the contingencies for the contingencies for the contingencies, like no one is having fun anymore. It's right. just like, it's just like, oh my gosh, go do the heist, right? Like just go do it. Um, so one of the other things that I think is actually very interesting to port into different games is um, stuff like flashbacks for planning, because yep. then you can do things like release your planners from the need to plan for every contingency. You can say, sit down, have a basic plan, go in, if things go haywire, um, you can even, um, so I mean, there are games that truly codify this, like Knights Black Agents, where you actually have a role for planning. And if you succeed at the role and the difficulty, you know, it's harder to have a helicopter planted on the roof than it is to have remembered to grab your pocket knife. Right. But you you have those planning, like, uh, you can roll to see if you plan for that contingency and actually have that as a skill. And that's actually something I think that you can port at varying levels of mechanics into other games very easily to, to help with some of the planning stuff. And for me specifically, the way that I run games, very improv heavy, I'm probably not going to take enough time to write out a map and and list like when do the shifts oh, yeah. change which one of the guards <laughs> is the one that's likely to be able oh, yeah. to be bribed so i don't want to do that because it's not fun for me but if you don't do it to that level then planning in a lot of ways doesn't make sense because yeah. there's so you don't have the information to plan against yep. so then you're making it up on the fly when they ask you questions and then you'll find out well either you've made it impossible or you made it way too easy because you didn't think of all the things that a, a security agent would have thought of right and, that, and that's the other part of it is like, I'm not doing it either. So the other thing for the players is no matter what they're doing, they're always planning on incomplete information because even if I did plan to that extent, there's no way that they have all of that information from me, right? Right. They might have a lot of it, but at some point there's going to be something that they haven't found out yet. 
So, um, yeah, so flashbacks. I really like flashbacks for um, planning and, like, heist situations. I also just really like flashbacks in general as interludes, and that's what I was connecting into is interlude stuff. Um, I, um, so I think that that's another thing that's pretty easy to bring into games um, is, you know, when you suddenly have a character moment, if you need to justify something like how people have this relationship or whatever it is, I, I actually really enjoy things like, okay, let's, like, flashback to the time that this became a thing for you and tell me how that played out. Okay, cool. Now we're going to flash forward again. And like now with that background information, we're going to role play this, the scene out. So I don't, flashbacks are another cool thing, I think, too to port around and I think pretty easy to do and again it's something you can encourage with role play stuff like inspiration or bennies or you know, that kind yeah, of thing it, for role play you can reward them when they do it on their own or if you have to prompt them mm-hmm. you know if you have a newer player who may not be as comfortable role playing I'm always weary of giving too much of a bonus if there's someone who's not quite up to speed because then it feels like they never get anything. Right. And then it can actually become like a detriment to them. But but on the whole, yes, I want to encourage people for role playing in the way that I as a GM like the game to be played and the way I like to run the games. Yeah. Um and, and I've said this for years. With the with the podcast it's actually kind of funny that I try to stick more to the rules. I know it's funny because I'm the guy who does another <laughs> rules. But I do try to stick to them more unless I fully explain why I'm not, because we are technically playing a D&D game. But I said for years that I didn't play D&D. I played Michael's version of D&D. And I always had different rules and I always had things that were thrown in to make it feel like these other games and uh, Power by the Apocalypse. I'm not a fan of those games, mostly because I don't like D6s. I think D6s are dumb dice. But <laughs> I love the way that that game is approached with the conversation, the back and forth. And I run D&D games mostly like that now. You know, I will ask questions like, you know, you're going to the, to the dock. Who's the dock master? How do you know them? You know, and I try to get people to tell me what they intend to do. And then we'll decide if a roll is needed. You know, don't say I roll to attack. Say I swing my sword at his head. Okay, roll the die and we'll see what happens. Or I may say, okay, yeah, this guy's an NPC. You're a fifth level fighter. You just decapitated him. We don't have to roll for that because of this, the narrative yeah, yeah. that we're in. And th- those aren't the ways that I guess, quote unquote, traditionally D&D games are ran. So I've always been pulling in these different things, but they're not always identifiable as where they came from. Exactly. Yeah. And also now let it be known to the world that you are a dice snob. You just like <laughs> you just don't like D6s because like they're not obscure enough for you. You dice hipster you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I love D12s. Like I, I literally. If oh, you my took God. A, you are a dice hipster. Yeah, you really are. <laughs> if you took the power by the apocalypse and just added doubled everything. Uh-huh. So instead of being like, you know, one to six, it was two through 12. I would fine with it. 13 yeah. to 17 or whatever. Yeah. But I don't like D6s. Yeah. You're a dice hipster. Oh, my God. <laughs> D12s are the best die. That's, period. Uh, end of story. I, I can't even think of a game where, like, I think I've rolled a D12 like three times in my life. <laughs> that I, I'm working on a, a role-playing game that is specifically designed to make people roll D12s. You roll three D12s every time you try to do anything. That's so mean. I would have to go buy more D12s. <laughs> Oh, but D12s are lonely. <laughs> and they're the best die. They have the, the perfect amount of heft and the perfect amount of roll compared to D20s too round. Uh-huh. D8s don't make any sense. What they, they they just flop around. <laughs> D4s, dumb. D6s, dumb. D12 is the best die. <laughs> all right, so I'm going to port... <laughs> I'm going to port all the Powered by the Apocalypse games to D12s. If you did that and didn't you. tell me, I would love it. Yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we need to wrap up this portion. Is there any other things that you would talk about, either specific examples or just in general, about bringing things over into your game? I'll start by saying, as the GM, it's your game, only to the extent that the players allow it to be your game. So if you're bringing things in because it makes the game more fun for you, but it makes it unfun for your players, then you might want to have that conversation. Everyone at the table has to be on board. Now, it's it's different if you're trying to make like a very specific challenge because you think that would be interesting. But if you're going to change whole cloth how certain things work in the game that they played for a long time, I would want to give them a heads up beforehand. Yeah. And really ask for their input. Like, hey, we had a lot of fun doing this random thing, um, you know, XYZ, or I played this game at a convention and it was great. Would you guys be willing to try this? And this is how it works. Right. Communication is really key. <laughs> Yes, yes, it is. Absolutely. <laughs> really big on communication with your players. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. 
Uh, so as always, you know, we'd like to throw this back out to the audience. If you've had any experience in learning or teaching new games, bringing in things from other games into your game, good or bad, uh, let us know how it went and what advice you would have given. Uh, you can leave comments, uh, obviously, to this episode or hit us up on Twitter, Facebook, or anywhere else you type in the RPG Academy and find us. Uh, so for today's last segment, we're going to do our new student introductions. And this is where we take a class and a background and we kind of mush them together. And we try to come up with some interesting options of how you could play that. Cinda is a fan of rogues. So we decided <laughs> to go with the rogue class. Uh, but what is our background that we're going to mush with it? Um, we're going to mesh the sage background in with the rogue. So a sage is basically um, someone who spent years learning the lore of the multiverse. So you've studied, you're basically... Uh, like a professor, I would say. You can see where I'm going with this because I'm kind of <laughs> excited about it. So your skill proficiencies are arcana and history. Um, you gain some extra languages. Um, you get ink, a quill, a letter from a dead colleague posing a question you have not yet been able to answer. And um, and some other boring things. <laughs> yeah. And your, your feature in the 5th edition is a researcher. Uh, so if you're trying to learn or recall a piece of information, it's a little bit easier for you type of a situation. So when you think of Rogue and a Sage, what comes to mind for you? Indiana Jones. Jones. <laughs> Fair. That's why Fair. I'm excited about this one. <laughs> Dashing, stealing things. I mean, he's stealing them to put them in museums, obviously. He's very chaotic good. Um, so I think that it would be really interesting to, you know, to be out in like a, a like, uh, basically, I'm an archaeologist or I'm a researcher, I'm a professor, and I have to go out, you know, and be in the field to study the thing that I'm looking into. Oh my gosh, I really want to play a rogue now that is like an anthropologist of monster communities. <laughs> that would be amazing. Um, whoa, that would be... Oh, that would be really cool. Um, so, like, you you need to go out into the field to write your papers back home for the university. So you got to go out there and actually find the things and do the stuff. And 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 I think that the rogue class lends itself very well to that because you got to be able to sneak and you got to be able to sweet talk people and you got to be able to kind of blend in. Um, and I think it's a nice different take on it because it's also very different than the like, aha, street rat. Yeah, I've been stealing yep. since I was X and I'm wanted for whatever. I'm an orphan. I'm an orphan, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always Raised an on orphan. the street. Yeah. yeah, my rogues are usually, yeah, man, orphans with rapiers, and they are usually wanted for something and on the run from somewhere. Sometimes they're pirates, you know. It's So So this, this seems really different and interesting to me because it's a very different drive for why you would go out and steal things. And it means that you're not necessarily in it for, like, the money, but you might be in it for very specific artifacts, which would be very cool from a GM perspective because it's easy to motivate people with those things oh, if yeah. you're like, okay, in this dungeon, this is where the cult of whatever it was, you know, once lived. And so all of their artifacts are down in the deepest levels. And man, you would learn so much. <laughs> and that sort of, it, it kind of flips its head on the tropey version where you have the party of adventurers who have to convince the rogue to go along. Right. Here you have the rogue going, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> because I need to get down there yeah. and trying to bring the other characters and other players with them. Right. This is the last missing puzzle piece that I need to finish putting together my dissertation. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of really want to play this character now. Yeah, <laughs> uh, so normally when we talk about these, you know, Caleb and I will always, always kind of mention that you can play it as, as the background is always the background. So you were a sage. In, in the example you're giving, you're still kind of I both. I want which, to still be the stage. <laughs> which, which is awesome. But if you look at it as something that you used to do, it could always be uh, the, in, the instigating incident or what's, whatever, how you say that, why you became a rogue. There's one on the list there, you're discredited academic. Yeah. So maybe, maybe you were close to completing some mystery and another colleague or the, the cult of whatever did a thing to discredit you because they didn't want their secrets out. You were thrown out of the university onto the streets and you had to learn to survive. So you have this wealth of r random information, but now you're basically a traditional rogue. But that gives you a little bit of like how you, you talk, you know, very intelligently. You can, uh, oh, like I said, the charisma when you get into like, like noble society or, or intellectual community, a typical rogue probably wouldn't know how to talk that lingo, but you can. 
and still such a good motivation because if you're trying to prove that you were actually discredited and that your, you know, your paper or whatever was actually true. Oh yes. man, see, that's still a really good reason to go into the dungeon and find <laughs> the ancient artifacts to prove that whatever you were writing yeah. about is, yeah. yeah. Still really want to play this character. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm looking, uh, another one on here is the scribe. Like I could see that could be very interesting. So you're in, you know, in traditional D&D sense, you're a scribe, you're a low level nobody in the service of like a noble or the king or queen and you know you're tasked with writing out these missives and delivering them to other places that would be a wealth of information that you could make two copies and you you sell those secrets or you you are given information that you know it's like oh my god i cannot believe we're about to go to war and you know that before anyone else does so you maybe you don't deliver that missive or you 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 do, but then you leave the country because you know you know what's about to happen. So I, I like that idea of that's how you start, mm-hmm. and that, again you have all these skills of a scribe and and how that could change who you how you approach things. Right. Um. I mean, I think the alchemist is cool as well, in that um it could just basically loan itself to you know you might have a backstory about how you are a failed alchemist. Um, which again could lend itself pretty really well in terms of character motivation um, going forward and gives you all of these things like maybe it's, you know, maybe you have a background in identifying potions because you used to do it. But, you know, you're so you're you know what X, Y and Z will do when you mix them together. But, ah, you know, it just didn't work out. And here you are kicked out on the streets from your failed business or whatever it was. Were that noble that you accidentally poisoned instead of <laughs> giving a love potion, whatever it was, <laughs> right. right? Yeah. Um, which is a little bit tricky because I know that alchemist is also isn't alchemist also a class in fifth edition, or am I thinking three five again? Yeah, not not yet. Yeah. It, it, it might be something like the UA, but not in the uh, <laughs> core. So I always like to try to bring these to like a media, TV, movie. You obviously started off with Indiana, Indiana Jones. Jones. <laughs> so I'm going to throw out uh, Gilderoy Lockhart from the Harry Potter, mm. where it sort of switched, flipped that on the head, where you actually go to other people's research, kill them, take their research, and pass it off as your own. Yeah, that's definitely a rogue thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. So so any other ideas that you can think of for the, the rogue background or the rogue Sage background before we wrap things up for sure. No, I just really want to play Indiana Jones now. (laughs) That's kind of where I am. (laughs) Perfect. Awesome. Well, we really hope that you've enjoyed today's show. Uh, We're not quite done yet. We do have a couple things left to do. Uh, We have some new Patreons that have joined us, and we obviously want to thank them. And then we have a couple of reviews that we would like to read as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, So first up, we've had four new patrons join our family in the ranks of our Academaniacs in the last few weeks. Uh, So I want to say thank you to Floyd Dangle. Mark Koloneski, William Gwantley, that's probably not right, and Jen Gange. Thank you guys very much. And if, Cinda, you would do the honors, we have some new reviews to be read as well. Yeah, so Kami said, fun group, great advice. Excellent general RPG podcast. There's a good mix of actual plays of games, especially in the forms of their trials, where they often have a guest well-versed in a new game run them through an adventure. While a number of general task and advice sessions related to the wonderful world of RPGs and tabletop gaming and general geekery. Cool. And um, then G. Korea. It's not fair that you're making me try to pronounce these names. <laughs> That's why I always Meanie. do that. <laughs> Everything from A to Z with some side trips to one, two, and three. I just wanted to post a thank you for all the work you guys have done. I finally worked my way out of the archives and just started listening to episode 50. I'm starting my own D&D group in 5e and I'm very nervous about it. Your tips and tricks have helped me a lot. I only wish you separated the campaigns from the faculty meetings so it was easier to keep track of where I was. I cannot get enough of the table talks, though, so keep up the great work. Even when there are some technical difficulties with the recording, they are not that bad and quickly get ignored with the information being given. Awesome. You have lots of new reviews. Oh, my gosh. Okay. We got lucky. Yeah. It was a good couple weeks. (laughs) So your one nightmare said a great bunch of guys. While I primarily listen to the faculty meetings, I love listening to Detention and the Rod Iron Campaign. These guys are hilarious and informative. I went to a Catacon 2016 and met with them. See, you should all back at Catacon. That's the Senda intervention there. That wasn't in the review. (laughs) They are nice guys, and I love this podcast. 
that was the subtext. You just yeah. read the subtext. <laughs> I just read the subtext. Yeah, like, hey, go back to Kickstarter. Yeah. Uh, and this one is Thank You by GM the DM. I recently got back into the deep end of role-playing about two years ago. I tend to get obsessed and allow my interests to encompass all of my life. Binge listening to your show has been a great experience, and now that I am all caught up, I cannot wait week to week for your next show. Keep up the good work. Yay! And one last one from Biscardom. The epicenter of RPG podcasts. Oh my. There are a lot of RPG podcasts, and I listen to a lot of those said podcasts, but if it wasn't for this podcast, none of that would be possible. When I first started dipping my toe into tabletop RPGs, I randomly stumbled across this podcast, and it was then that I realized how glorious my newfound hobby really was. Michael and Caleb provide experienced advice in a manner that was easily digestible by a newbie, but still full of deep insight. They talk as if they're one of your closest friends, and after meeting them in person, I can attest that this is completely genuine. The RPG Academy also opened up the door to a vast array of other podcasts, media, and games that I never would have known about if it wasn't for them. If you want to feel like you're in the know about what's going on in the greater RPG community, this is the place to be. That is so nice. Those are good reviews. And thank you, Cinda, very much for reading them. I do appreciate it. Uh, I wanted to give uh, one quick uh, shout out as well to, uh, I got an email a couple days ago. I posted part of this on Twitter uh, from David. Uh, there were some things I didn't think needed to be shared with everybody, some personal stuff David's uh, going through. Uh, but he was very complimentary to the podcast and kind of ended up saying that our show has kind of inspired him to get back into role-playing games. And it's inspired his 11-year-old daughter to start as well. And they are currently working on a campaign that they're going to play as a family. Um and again, stuff like that is truly awesome. I know we every time we shill for, for new reviews, because it does help us on iTunes, but it also is just a way to sort of validate what we do. And we know that we've made a connection with someone. So whether you can write a review or not, whether you want to join Patreon or not, just a quick thank you, even a comment on an episode, just say, hey, this was a great episode, can turn a podcaster's day around. I, again, I'm speaking from from the heart. Cinda's shaking her head. She knows. I know. They're like hugs for podcasters. Yes. Yeah. So do not be, <laughs> don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. You don't have to pour your heart out. Just a quick, hey, thanks for this episode means a whole lot to us. Yeah. So thank you, everyone who wrote the review. Thank you to our new patrons. And again, thank you very much, David. Please keep in touch. Let me know how the campaign goes. I would love to hear about it. Yeah, that's awesome. That pretty much wraps things up. Uh, Cinda, if people wanted to uh, support your show or you, where can they go? Well, you can find She's a Super Geek at sasgeek.com um, or on Twitter at sasgeekpodcast. And we do have a Patreon. It's at patreon.com slash sasgeek. And I realized I just said sasgeek a bunch of times instead of sasgeek, but that's okay. It's all good. <laughs> you all know what I'm saying, right? So we um, do actual play one shots highlighting women as GMs. And we would love for any of you who are interested to come take a listen. And yeah, and you, what else? You can also find, um, uh, I have a couple of articles up now on Gnome Stew, and you can also find me on the Misdirected Mark podcast talking about one shots and campaigns on Pandas Talking Games. I call it Sass Geek as well. Uh, that's just I know, me too. I, it's just a. It, it just is. <laughs> and then again, if you go to our website, there is a link over on our uh, network feed that you can click there and go directly to them. And you should do that if you haven't already, because it's awesome. Stenda, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate your time. I know you've got to run like right this second. Uh, so, with, <laughs> yeah, so with that, this has been Michael. And this has been Stenda. <laughs> and this meeting is adjourned. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out therpgacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. 
you can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the drive-thru RPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media such as Facebook and Google Plus at the RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, the Caleb G, at the Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at the RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.